Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. Each week, I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose, the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Hey, it's your girl Candice Rice, aka Pimp Fry Rice from MTV's Flora Bama Shore, and I am on Verbally Effective with Ina Esco. Hi, it is Carlissa Shaw, and I am hanging out with Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective podcast. Exact Tax Prep is an independently owned tax preparation company specializing in preparing and electronically filing federal and state income tax returns for individuals and small businesses. Contact Email Sagi Jr. with the Exact Tax team to provide you with the top of the line tax strategies. By educating clients on new and existing tax laws, Emil's goal is to ensure that you make the right financial decision. Contact Email Sagi Jr. today at 901 752 9152 or email E S I G E E at E D X A C T T A X P R E P dot com. Welcome to another edition of the Verbally Effective Podcast. I'm your host, your double E, Ina Esco. You know, this podcast intersects art, culture, politics, entertainment with a Memphis focus. That's right. I need you guys to subscribe to the pod right now on all streaming platforms, including Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, all of your streaming platforms, wherever you get your pods, right? Also, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Ina Esco. And I just want to thank the Consortium MMT for allowing me to podcast in this wonderful state-of-the-art space. And I also want to shout out my team. Big shout-outs to Ari, Brandon, and, of course, Patrick and Morell. Let's get started because I have one of my beautiful sorors in the building with me. It's a lot going on with politics right now in the city of Memphis 10. And I have with me a partner at Bailey Bailey and White, PLLC. And of course, she's an attorney and a Democratic candidate for the Shelby County District Attorney. I'm talking about attorney Janika White. How are you, beautiful? I am great. How are you today? I am lovely. I'm so glad you joined me today. I know you've been busy, right? I've been very busy. <laughs> like, what does the day in the life these days look like now for Janika White? Completely different than what they looked like a couple of months ago. So I used to always think that I was really busy before, and I've been telling people I was fake busy because this is truly busy. Every every minute of the day, I'm trying to make sure that I'm putting it towards an actual purpose. Um, so I'm living very intentional and very purposeful, waking up at 5 a.m., uh, thinking about pushing it up to 430 um, but so busy that just my normal activities that I was doing before campaigning, I'm just not able to do anymore. Oh, wow. So is that a, is it a good busy? Is it a different busy? How would you, how would you describe the busy now? I would say different. It's not good or bad. It's different. Mm-hmm. I think that whenever you're going through a season of transition or change or you're going towards a goal, and you're really in that grind season, it's a time where you really do have to cut out all distractions, everything else that's going on, and say, this is my focus. Mm -hmm. And in this instance, I can't get an extension on Election Day. Election Day is going to be Election Day. And so what I have to do is make sure that every minute that I'm spending, it's going towards a purpose. It's intentional. Um, But also making sure that I'm still having that balance with my family, uh, with my friends, because my family is just such a big part of who I am. And a big part of just my overall kind of, that's my way of decompressing is my family. So I still make sure that's a part of my day, you know, day to day, if it's a phone call or just stopping by my parents' house or seeing my brothers or a FaceTime. But um, 
it's just it's about figuring out how to balance it and a big uh, I would say big time time management definitely that right yeah for sure wow well we're gonna dig into the politics but I want to start at the beginning where are you originally from Janika what part of Memphis so it's debatable. Uh-oh. It's debatable. And the reason I say this is because I grew up right around the corner from Crystal Palace Skating Rink. Okay. And so some people say that's South Memphis. Some people mm-hmm. say that's Whitehaven. Some people say you're you're Westwood adjacent. Mm-hmm. So we're just kind of in the middle because <laughs> I literally grew up one street over from Crystal Palace Skating Rink. And so uh, that's where I lived my entire life up until I went to college. And then when I came back home, I moved back in with my parents for a little while. And then I've been downtown since then. And I'm glad you mentioned your parents. Um, you know, I recently hosted your campaign kickoff um, a few weeks back. And something that, you know, really was ingrained in my mind is your relationship with your parents. Talk to me about that, your relationship with your parents and your whole fa- your whole family dynamic. Because you had a lot of family there to support you at campaign kickoff. I will say... Yesterday morning I woke up and I sent my parents the sweetest message, but it was it was basically thank you all for giving us the greatest gift ever, and that was the knowledge of God, Jesus Christ, because I realized in life there's no guidebook to life, and once you have once you give your children that foundation, there's nothing that they can't navigate and figure out. So even if you didn't do everything right, if you've equipped your children with that, you've given them everything. And I just had just really wonderful parents. My parents both were educators. My dad's a retired principal. My mom's a retired teacher. But they were just so uh, patient and calm. Like, I've never seen my parents, you know, argue. And so I just have really just loving parents who just have cared for people, have been selfless, And just taught us to always love other people and see what other people need. And in terms of my family, oh my gosh, I have the biggest family ever. But I love that part because we're actually close. Uh, We are a very close family. We do things together. We hang out with each other. We call and check on each other. Um, Every year, Christmas Eve, we still go to South Memphis up on the hill to my Aunt Hutchie's house. And we're in, like, a two-bedroom house, and it's over a 100. I mean, it's so many of us. We just open up the windows, and we're just falling all over each other on the floors. But that is something that has just been such a huge part of who I am because when you have so many people, you learn to care for other people, and you learn to be selfless, and you learn to uh, look out for other people and be concerned about what's going on, you know, with the folks around you. So I just was really fortunate to just have a really, really loving family. Uh, but even more so from that, I was fortunate to have a family that expressed how important it was that we showed that same love outside of our family. Definitely. I can tell, too. I can tell the love was in the building. Now, still kind of sticking on your upbringing, what was the young Janika into? Like, what, what high school did you attend? I went to Central. Central. Okay. You know, y'all deep over there at Central. Y'all <laughs> proud. What yes, were you into at the Central? Oh, my gosh. What did I do? I was a part of LOR. I remember I did LOR. I, I didn't do, like, a whole lot of activities, honestly. I remember one year I decided, because uh, I grew up with three brothers. So for a long time, I was a tumboy. And so once I got kind of to high school, I said, I want to play basketball. And okay. I did one year, and I was terrible. You was, oh, you went home? I was terrible. I was terrible. <laughs> I realized I didn't know how to play organized sports. Mm-hmm. I was used to playing in my neighborhood. Right. And in my neighborhood... I don't know what we were doing, but we were not doing. Just trying to shoot it in. (laughs) Look, I don't know what I was doing (laughs) in the streets. Because when it was time for me to go out there Mm -hmm. uh, and play in Central, it was not happening. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've always just, um, I I did do my trial in high school, interestingly enough. I did Memphis Light, Gas, and Waters. It was Law Explorers. So I did my trial. um, When I was younger, I was a cheerleader. I did gymnastics. I never stuck to any of those things, really. I ended up in choir. Okay. Um, You were the only girl. Only girl. I got you. Only girl. I got you. Only girl. So as I got older, I kind of became kind of the, it's interesting, the kind of like second mama to my brothers, even though one of my brothers is older than me and I have two younger brothers. But I tell my mama all the time, I was like, I have saved you so much heartache and drama (laughs) and pain. Like, you should be so grateful that you had me. Like, I have saved you from so much through the years. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I talked to your mom for a second. She's so proud of you. She is so proud of you. Now, let's talk about your college life for a second. Where did you go? And tell me what you majored in and about your experience there. So I went to UT Chattanooga. Um, I majored in English 
and I had a minor in business administration. I joined a pledge Alpha Kappa Alpha. Okay. While at UT Chattanooga Zeta Kappa right. chapter. And uh, I had a great college experience. It was so interesting because my best friend, uh, Missy, we went to elementary school together, went to Double Tree together. Then with our Double Tree, we went to Ju- uh, John P. Freeman Central, UT Chattanooga together. And our first two years, we stayed together and we took all of our classes together until it was time for us to split with our major. Mm-hmm. But then it was so many people in Chattanooga from Memphis that Definitely. it was kind of home away from home. That's what I'm hearing. It was. But we had... I tell young people all the time, college is, you know, I understand the educational piece, but I think you can learn anywhere, especially now when you have Google and all the technology, you can get the knowledge that you need. But I love college for the experience of, it's the only time in life, in my life, where you go to class a few hours, but you just manage and figure out the rest of your day on your own. You know, you 24 hours in a day, and you figure out the rest of your 20 after you go to class for about four hours in a day. And so, you know, that's an experience that I think everyone should have, you know, because once you start working, you're working. You're working. I'm trying to tell my 16-year-old this very thing, because he's debating if he's going to go to college, thinking, hey, I'm going to be graduating, going to raise some money. I'm like, but what about that experience you're going to miss out on? It's an experience. It really is an experience. But I understand. But I really do. I'm starting to learn both sides. Gen Z is there, baby. They, they, mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning both sides, though, because I do know a lot of people who have gone the traditional route college, and once they've graduated, they still haven't been able to get, you know, gainful employment that really justifies the loans and the time that you spent in college. I just, one thing that I will say I appreciate about um, my parents, and even though they really stress, of course, education, but my dad always really stressed for us to just enjoy um, obtaining knowledge in whatever you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Because what I've learned is, is the more you obtain knowledge in whatever you're interested in, you figure out how to make whatever it is that you enjoy better. And that's how people become, you know, innovators. And, and that's, that's how people become, um, you know, create things. And that's how people become millionaires and billionaires. Really? It's because once they really take the time to explore whatever field it is they're in. They say, oh, okay, you know, I do radio and this, but you know what? We need to add these little things around this to make the sound do this, you know. But you have to do this to know that. You get what I'm saying? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay, okay. So I heard you say you were an English major and uh, minored in business. Where did the law come in, Janika? Tell me about how, how this law career started and why law. So... All the way back from high school, actually. Um, And to be honest, it wasn't until I got older that I found out that my dad wanted to be a lawyer and my dad would actually go to the law school and read law books. Mm. So now that I'm older, I realize that my dad probably kind of put this in me a little bit and I didn't realize it. But it was always something he would say, you know, oh my gosh, you you always talking. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a lawyer. And by the time I went to high school, um, I decided I wanted to to try, and I did mock trial. Mm -hmm. And when I did mock trial, uh, Cynthia White was the lady that worked at MLG&W. And she said, you're so smart. We need to get you a summer internship. And she Mm -hmm. called attorney Alicia Howard, who had an office in Whitehaven. Alicia Howard hired me in 11th grade. Wow. And I, right now, can't imagine trusting an 11th grade. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like she was so courageous and... um, and I just thank God for her because I'm sure that she spoke to your maturity and your intelligence level as well. Yes, but I mean, <laughs> she the way that she trained me mm-hmm. and took the time to train me, you know, because most people will say, "Oh, this is a kid," you know, not going. I got real work to do. I'm a lawyer. I'm handling cases, but she took time to train me. Uh, so much of how I practice law, my organ, like my the way that I write, all of that came from. My me practicing, like me being in the office with mm-hmm. Alicia in 11th grade. And so I ended up staying there with her, and it just kind of, after mock trial, we went to the Nationals mm-hmm. uh, when I was in 11th grade with MLG and W, um, and it's just kind of something that stuck with me. I decided mm-hmm. this is what I actually enjoy. This is what this is what I was put here to do. Yes, it was ma'am. to practice law. Okay. <laughs> so you left UT Chad and went directly to law school? I went directly to law school, UT Knoxville. Okay. So how was the experience at uh, their law school? I really enjoyed UT Knoxville. Uh, mm-hmm. The campus was, of course, really nice, but the people that I met there became mm-hmm. like my family. So um, uh, Jay Trin and Terry, 
I remember meeting them one of my first few days. They they were just kind of clickish and just so happened they were sorors too. I didn't know it, but by the time we left, J Tran, Terry, Brooke, uh, Kimmery, we were like. It was like these people that I had met for the first time became just as close to me mm-hmm. as my best friends that I had had for years. Yeah. And to this day are still some of my closest friends. That is amazing. Now, you know, I'm a transplant, actually, to Memphis. Mm-hmm. And when I got here, you know, the the crime numbers were staggering. And, and I would say still is. That was like mm-hmm. over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so for you to complete law school, say, hey, I'm going to come and practice that in Memphis. Were you a bit hesitant? Were you ready? Were you encouraged? Like, I'm going to make changes. How was that whole transition, leaving law school to come back to practice in Memphis? I was excited. Okay. I was so excited. Um, because the people, my, my family, my everybody was excited. Like, mm-hmm. we got a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, um, I had a clerkship with Chancellor Kenny Armstrong, and I clerked for him one year. Then I clerked for Judge Bernice Donald. Uh, the year following that, and following that, I worked for uh, a de- an insurance defense law firm, which is like a medium-sized private firm. Mm-hmm. And people were calling me like, Janika, you know, I need your help on this, or this happened, and can you help me? And I couldn't help because mm-hmm. at a firm, you can't take these outside cases. And I decided this is not why I went to law school. Mm-hmm. And so um, I ended, that's how I ended up with Walter Bailey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was eight years ago, a little bit over eight years ago. Wow. But I was always excited to come back home. Mm-hmm. It was never any hesitancy. It was never really any thought. Um, it's always been difficult for me to even think about leaving Memphis just because of my family. Like, mm-hmm. all of my family is here in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And because we're so close. Mm-hmm. I just really couldn't imagine. I just can't imagine being away from my family. Okay. I got you. I got you. Now, talk to me about um, the percentage of black women in law right now. What does that look like? It is still very, very, very small. Okay. We just had the Barristers Ball towards the end of the year, and I actually gave them exact numbers, and I can't remember them now. But it's still a very, very small percentage. Even mm-hmm. when you go um, to, and especially when you start talking about in firms and in uh, higher positions, mm-hmm. it's still very low. And why is that? I just believe that's just historically how things have been, just mm-hmm. like the systemic, just the systemic changes and the way that I think that women are perceived in general. Mm-hmm. I still believe that women are still fighting to show that we are strong, that we can handle high pressure situations. Mm-hmm. To really have people see the the strength mm-hmm. of a woman and the importance mm-hmm. of our experiences and the importance of what we bring to the table. It's just really interesting that it's still kind of, it's still that dynamic. Mm-hmm. And you also have to realize just for so long the in terms of where the power is, it's been with men. So mm-hmm. a lot of times unless we kind of power down, break those glass ceilings, then we're waiting for men to open the door. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what type of challenges have you had as a black woman as an attorney? What kind of challenges have you faced? I would say being trusted. Okay. It takes a little bit more. Definitely being trusted uh, within um, the workspace. And not just the workspace, even sometimes with clients. Um, Mm. And especially with me being younger, especially when I first started. I remember having a client uh, when I was working with Mr. Bailey. She came in there. She was so honest and transparent. She's an older, an older lady, more seasoned, and she said, I came in here for Walter Bailey. <laughs> and I said, oh, I said, well, I'm going to handle your case. You know, we work together, and I handle these cases. And she said, uh-uh, you look too young and inexperienced. And she said it. And you I, look too she, young she, she did. She and did. inexperienced. But I don't remember how I worked the situation, but I ended up working her case. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget when she walked out of our law office, she went in Mr. Bailey's office, and she said, that girl over there, she looked like a sweet little kitten. But she roared like a mighty tiger. <laughs> <laughs> she looked like a sweet kitten. A but little what? sweet kitten. But, but, and I think that's always kind of been a misconception of mine. I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you how your family is. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes clients don't like that. They want you to be rah, rah, rah all mm-hmm. the time. And I try to tell them, I don't have to be rah, rah, rah all the time. I can be cordial. 
with the adversary. I can know the adversary and we can be okay. But once the once I hear, you know, all rise, something clicks. Mm. And it's it's different. Mm-hmm. And it's not aggressive, it's not mean. It's just it's seriously like something clicks. And it's just it's different. Definitely. And a lot of times clients want to see that different all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, I can smile, I hug people, you know, I I love on people, but once it's time for the rest to get to work, I got you. Yes, yes. (laughs) Wow, and you know what, uh, Janika, we have seen you, um, you know, in your role as an attorney most recently, um, because it received a lot of press with Katrina Robinson, Mm -hmm. uh, former senator. Mm -hmm. She was removed from her seat. Um, It was, it was, it was very, a very interesting case. Uh, Can you tell us where we are with with Katrina Robinson right now. I want to call her senator again, but she's no longer the senator. So where are we with that case, and how how was it navigating through that case? It was a very interesting uh, and difficult case because the statute in which she was charged under, the way that it was charged was unusual. And by unusual, I had difficulty finding another case. uh, To even compare it to. To even compare it to in, in the entire country. And so just figuring out how to navigate it to start with was very difficult. And so I reached out to uh, Larry Lorenzi, who tried the case, and then Larry Lorenzi brought in another young lawyer, Matthew Gill. And all of a sudden, we had this team, and we were all looking at this from all these different ways. And we started off with 48 counts initially, and after some motions, uh, those 48 counts, there was an, um, yeah, there was a superseding indictment, and those 48 counts went to... 17 counts. Mm-hmm. And then right before trial, the government superseded the indictment, and that 17 went to 20 counts. And after we went through trial, the 20 went to 15. No, no, no. The, no, no, no. Yeah, the 20, yeah. The judge dismissed 15 of the 20. We went to five. Five went to the jury. The jury convicted her on four of the five. Mm-hmm. After that, we filed another motion. The judge dismissed two of the four. And so right now, as it stands today, she's convicted on two counts. So it started at $600,000 being alleged that she uh, stole or embezzled. After hearing testimony throughout, it was determined that none of the money that was spent came from grant funds. And that was per her accountant and the books that had been kept. And that's why the judge ended up dismissing those other counts. And so of the two, um, it was alleged that she possibly intended to misapply $3,484. $3,484. So we then went from six hundred k to $3,000. $484. And from 48 counts to two. Amazing. Um, Bitch, I've never seen anything like that, huh? Oh, no. That, was, that, that case is one of a kind. I'm not sure we will ever see another case quite like that one, seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was very unique. And so as of uh, this past Friday, she was sentenced, and the judge gave her time served. Mm which she hasn't served any time, so that's just to say, hey, you're not on, um, there's no jail time, so she won't serve any jail time. And um, so right now we're just exploring options as to, you know, what we can do as it pertains to the two remaining counts. Wow. You know, when they moved to remove her, I was so, you know, surprised and taken aback because you all weren't even finished with all of the proceedings yet. Mm -hmm. So that's what was so interesting to me, Mm -hmm. how that moved forward. Mm -hmm. I know you guys were shocked. I can't say shocked. You know, we're living in some interesting times mm-hmm. where a lot of things that shouldn't happen are happening. And so it was very disheartening. It was very disappointing. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it should have happened at that time. But I can't say that we were shocked mm-hmm. just based on history, based on what we know from our current legislators, based on what we knew from the people that we were going before we were prepared for that outcome. Wow. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so, you know, you used to putting up a fight. You're currently running for the uh, Democratic candidate for a Shelby County District Attorney. What made you want to run, Janika? A couple of things. The biggest thing was just what you said, the feeling in Memphis and just how I've been feeling recently, you know, this spirit of fear that's building up and just our young people and what's going on. I asked myself, what more do I have to offer? What else What else do I have to give? And then I thought about from where I am, what I've been doing on a day-to-day basis. You've been doing this work that you're saying needs to be done. 
but you've been doing it one case at a time. It's only so many cases where you can make sure your client gets mental health treatment. It's only so many cases that you can make sure that your client gets some kind of moral recognition therapy and some kind of rehabilitative services. We need to be doing this from the inside. We, this needs to be what the gatekeeper is doing on the front end. We need to be doing more to prevent crime mm -hmm. because right now we are traumatized. We are traumatized. Prosecution is one thing, but every time you're prosecuting a case, you already have a victim. Mm -hmm. We've already suffered some form of loss. You know, whether it's property, life, haunts, any, we've already suffered a loss and we're already traumatized in some form or fashion. And so I decided that's what I have to give. But not only that, I'm really uniquely positioned in this race because of what we talked about before. This is my community. Mm -hmm. This is where I come from. And not from where I come from, where I still am. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never uh, separated myself from my family and where we are. You know, I tell people if I want to eat good on Sunday, I gotta go South Memphis out for cancer. Okay. You know, I don't have to go and get me some type of... Um, I don't have to go get somebody to go and take me to Orange Mound or to take me to Frazier. Mm -hmm. You know, we need someone who's willing to be boots on the ground and be visible in these spaces in order to restore the trust that has been lost in our prosecutor's office and in order to be able to figure out what solutions there are and to really build those bridges and those connections that we need. It's imperative right now. It really is. And so when I thought about these things and I said, you know what, Janika, it's you. You know, I never thought about being a prosecutor, <laughs> but that was the conclusion. It was like, it's you. Yeah. It's you. The time is now. It's you. It's you, baby, because, <laughs> you know, we've had the current district attorney for quite, quite a few years, and I really haven't seen a lot of strides made. Um, crime is still up. I think I recently saw something where MPD stated eight, uh, crime is down 18.6%, but I mean, <laughs> where, they like them, where they pulling them numbers from? Yeah. <laughs> we don't, we don't, I will say this. I don't believe we have the most reliable data. Okay. Uh, I don't believe that, but yeah. I, I can't think of a time that I've lived in Memphis and I've feared or and I don't want to say feared but that I had apprehension as I drove down the expressway and that's a real thing that I you know at night where I'm looking around and I'm very cautious you know to see what's going on what's happening being really just really aware in a way um like I just said I'll pull up anywhere and a lot mm -hmm. of times I'll stop you know and guess yeah. but it's like now I'm really having to be careful how I move mm -hmm. and maybe I always should have I don't know but it's just a different type of uh, we're living in a different type of Memphis right now. And I believe that if we don't start, and I don't like to use the word confront. My daddy used to always say care front. Mm -hmm. But it seems as if things get worse, the more we seem to try to separate ourselves from the problems. Mm -hmm. And the more we separate, the bigger our problems get. Yeah. And so it's a time where we're going to have to turn around and we're gonna have to start going back, <laughs> and we gotta start care. We gotta start care fronting. Yeah, we gotta start hitting some of these issues head on, mm -hmm. hitting some of these root causes head on. We've gotta start toiling at this soil and plucking up these roots that we've gotten that have now given us all these mm -hmm. bad fruit. Okay, if you could give us what you think are the the top three, you know, rooted issues, what would that be? I would say poverty. Lack of resources, death, most definitely education. There's been something that we've saw, I mean, that we've seen just be an issue over the years uh, in terms of how to educate children, and not just here, but nationally. Um, and I would definitely say the way that we handle things in our criminal justice system, for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Right now, what we've been doing is for so long is creating cycles of poverty. Mm. On every level. Because we're still high up there on poverty. Right. Um, and we're creating more poverty through our criminal justice system. Okay. By over-criminalizing certain crimes, by still charging certain crimes, by still charging all of these fees and fines, and causing people to go through the, the system for all of these uh, non-violent offenses and things that don't prove to keep our community safer, mm -hmm. which also takes resources away from prosecutors and police from focusing on serious crimes. And so we've got to figure out, and we got to make a decision. 
what's important to us. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've agreed this is what's important to us. What do we need to change to get there? Are we willing to to change some of these th- these things that are so common to us? You get what I'm saying? Come to court for this. Come to court for that. Pay 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 for this. Pay for that. Are we willing to abandon some of our norms to be able to achieve this common goal? Mm-hmm. And that's where we are. And it's a decision that has to be made, and it's a decision that has to be made now. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know that the district attorney's office is an eight-year term, mm-hmm. one of the longest in the country. Mm-hmm. And so most of our uh, elected officials are termed out after eight years total, and a lot of the terms are just four years, four-year terms. But that office is eight years for one term, and it's not limited. Unlimited. It's unlimited. Wow. Didn't know that. Right. Didn't know that. Now, you mentioned it's an eight-year uh, term role. But for those that don't know, with the verbally effective audience, what exactly does the district attorney do? Great question. The district attorney is really... The, the biggest responsibility is safety in the community. That is the administrator of justice. That is the gatekeeper of justice. The district attorney decides who gets charged, if you get charged. Mm-hmm. So once a file comes in, the district attorney says, we're not charging that, or we are charging that. The district attorney determines what that charge will be. The district attorney makes the recommendation as to whether a person will be held on bond or, or, or pay a bond or not, or whether they'll be, or be rec- recommending detention. The district attorney determines whether or not a person will walk out of there have marked as a convicted felon or whether you'll walk out of there with a possible misdemeanor that's eligible for expungement. Mm. The district attorney decides what plea will be given, if any. The district attorney makes the recommendation for sentencing. The district attorney goes before the grand jury to get an indictment. The district attorney really has almost unfettered discretion. So when you start talking about the city, the mayor, the mayor has the city council. You start talking county mayor, I mean the city mayor. County mayor has the county commissioners. When you start talking about the district attorney, district attorney just answers to the people. Mm. Wow. That's a that's a very coveted role. A very important role. That's a very important role. I don't know if it's very coveted. <laughs> Somebody I always going to be mad at I don't know how coveted <laughs> The role is, uh, but it is absolutely a very important role. Very important, sure. very important. Well, you know, I have been seeing you, um, you know, do your thing on your campaign. Um, you have a lot of supporters here in the city, and I wish you the best because we need some changes around here in this city. I want to see Memphis thrive, you know, and you mentioned over-criminalization. Um, just speaking on that, if you could kind of talk to the audience about maybe some examples of, of just maybe cases you've seen that was just so extreme, but that's going on here in Memphis, Tennessee. I think Katrina Robinson's case is number probably, one. It is one of those kinds of cases. But in, in, in addition to overcriminalization, a lot of times we see what we call overprosecution. Overprosecution. And so what that is is where I know I may have the facts to fit a manslaughter case. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to charge John with first-degree murder because I want to try to force John to plead to somewhere in between. And I want John to, to not want to go to trial because if John takes the chance of going to trial and is convicted of first-degree murder, where I'm offering seven years, John is now facing life. Mm, it's really putting his back against the wall. Right. And, and we see that a lot. We see that a lot. We see people um, plead to a lot of things they still claim they may be innocent of. We see people uh, plead in order to get out of jail. Um, and we see just now overcriminalization, the term for that, and that's a little bit different from overprosecution. But when you start talking about overcriminalization, it's where you just see an abundance of laws that result in or can result in the loss of freedom. And we really, if you go back to kind of our founding fathers, the Constitution, that was something that they were cog- they were aware of, they were cognizant of, and they were trying to prevent. But over the years, we've done nothing but added more laws, more laws, more laws, more rules, more rules, more rules that can result in the loss of freedom. And so now what we have is, I mean, just we are the most incarcerated um, country in the world. <laughs> 
And so now we're incarcerating all of these people and then we're demanding these behaviors, but we're not taking steps to actually get people to the behaviors that we desire. The solution has been you're not, you, you've violated our social contract. You're not acting how we want you to act at this time. So our response is, is separate you. Again, that idea of separation. And so that's what we've done all these years. And we now see that it's not making people better. Not only is it not making individuals better, it's not making our communities better. It's actually damaging not only the individuals, but it's damaging the community as a whole. Because when you damage the individual, you now have damaged the individual's ability to earn a living. You've now uh, damaged the individual's ability to care for his or her family. And now you've hindered the growth of whoever that family is. You see what I'm saying? And now you see this perpetuated over time. Mm -hmm. And now you have what we have right now. Mm. Mm -mm. Janika, if you get in this role as district attorney, um, what would be your top focus as soon as you get in? What immediately are you instituting, changing immediately? So one of the first things that um, I would be changing, and I don't want to say changing, is the culture of the office. Right now we have an office that is a win-at-all-cost type of office. I want an office that is community-centered and is people-centered. And you were there at the campaign opening. One of the things that I said was, I want, I'm powered by the people. And I want an office that's powered by the people. And so the biggest focus, of course, would be that. Another big focus has been the transfers of youth from juvenile court to adult court and being charged as adult adults. In Shelby County, we transfer more children to adult court than any other county combined in the state of Tennessee. I would put more focus from our prosecutors on more serious crimes, more, more serious violent crimes, the crimes that, that harm us, not just scare us, but the crimes that harm us and uh, cause trauma, those kinds of crimes. We're talking about rapes, armed robberies, murders. Those are the crimes that we really need to be focused on at this time. And we can't do that if we're um, prosecuting every suspended driver's license case. We can't do that if we're prosecuting every um, small possession of marijuana case. We, we can't do that if we're, still, if we're still having people come down to a building to address some of these things that, no, when you start at polling the community about whether they're concerned about that, they're not. Mm-hmm. What they want to know is, can I go to the gas station without a gun being pulled on me? Okay. Can I drive down 240 without fear of a bullet coming through my window? Mm-hmm. You know, these are the things we're concerned about. Can I go to sleep at night without fear of a bullet coming flying through my house? You know, um, do I have to jump up in the middle of the night for fear of some phone call that my child uh, has been slain in the, in the street somewhere? Mm-hmm. That's what we want. <laughs> You know, that's wow. what we want. And so when people start talking about not focusing on some of these lower-level offenses, you know, oh, you just it's going to be a free-for-all and you want to be soft on crime. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We've got some serious issues that we've got to spend some serious time fixing and focusing on. Mm-hmm. And, and and we've got to really put the resources into that. And, 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 and to do that, based on what we have right now, we've got to make some really serious changes. Definitely, we do, we do, and who we? I mean, you really broke it down for us, Janika. What's <laughs> what's really going on in Memphis regarding um, the crime and the changes that are needed? Um, we're gonna get back into um, your campaign. Before we do that, I do want to get into a segment of the show called Esco's Pop Talk because it is that time, and this segment is all about uh, some of your. Uh, I guess popular newsworthy topics and and what I thought would be best fitting is what's going on right now with attorney Katanji Brown Jackson. Are you familiar with this beautiful, well-decorated lady? I absolutely (laughs) am familiar, yes. Well, you know, I want to know, what do you feel? Wait, first of all, have you been looking at the Senate Judiciary Committee this week? 
So in and out. And I've been okay. I've really and I was so disappointed. Uh I was telling uh, one of my close friends, I said, I cannot believe this is going on. And because I've been just running so much and going to all these different places and all these commitments. But I, said, I can't believe this is going on. And I haven't been able to sit and watch it all day because I really would have loved to sit and watch every minute of it. Mm-hmm. But I've made sure that I go back and I watch clips and I try to find out the highlights of the day. The highlights. The highlights of the day and just be able to share in the moment. And that's mm-hmm. even more so than her responses. I wanted to be a part of the moment, you okay, know, a part of the experience. Like I wanted to experience this. While it's happening, like history is happening it right is. now, and I didn't want to miss it. And look, it feels that way when you're watching from the house and to see how they are really just really grueling her mm-hmm. with, with these not important questions, um, very degrading um, you know, it's just, to me, very unprofessional what's going on. I don't remember this line of questioning with a former, um, you know, Supreme Court justice that they were going to appoint. So since you've seen the highlights, what, what 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 are your thoughts about how some of the senators have been handling this, the line of questioning? It's It's been horrible. It's been disgusting. I would say it's disgusting. It's disgusting. But just like the comment I made earlier where these things are disgusting but not shocking. And uh, I was watching a clip of Senator Cory Booker, and he said the same thing. You know, he said, I'm shocked. And then he thought about it. He said, actually, no, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked. Because we right here, a lot of people don't know, right here in Memphis, Tennessee, we have a young man, Andre Mathis, who just went before this very committee and for the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals because Judge Bernice Donald uh, has taken senior status, and he has been vetted, and he was nominated by President Joe Biden. Mm. And he was just before, um, and some of the very same, uh, what happened in his um, in his hearings was uh, Senator uh, Marshburn, very similar to what we saw her do. Mm. Very similar to what we just saw her do. Um, she referred to Andre Mathis's uh, some ten year old a ten year old speeding ticket as you know she was concerned about his rap sheet, and it was something that was absolutely just unheard of. But those same type of um, just very, and it's difficult to call it disparaging or degrading because it's so uh, these microaggressions is what I like to call them, and and they're becoming more overt to the point that they're not necessarily microaggressions at this point. But just that same type of behavior that we saw rear its ugly head um, in in this instance. And when I just say that, oh, my gosh, she was just so poised. And the pauses, I love them. I love the pauses. I mean, if (laughs) if you needed to sit and figure out how you needed, I mean, the comportment, the... Mm -hmm. If you needed to say this, I need to practice for an interview or this is how I need to be when I'm dealing with um, a situation where, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't want to say an adverse situation, but when you're dealing with these types of contentious yeah. situations, uh, how you're supposed to respond. Mm-hmm. It, it was just, I was in awe. I was too. I was in awe of her. Yeah. Um, and And I just love the fact that the nation, the world, got to see this um, magnificent, just brilliant, mm-hmm. intelligent, um, Christian, mm-hmm. a strong black woman mm-hmm. sit here. And, you know, I hated to see her go through that for sure. That Even part was disgusting. Yeah. Oh, my God. I hated to see it. I hated to see it, but her response just magnified her. Mm-hmm. And I think it made us prouder it made me prouder Mm -hmm. because I remember uh, when um, Michelle Obama when she said uh, when they go low we go high Mm -hmm. and we don't like that you know we don't like to hear stuff like that Mm -hmm. but we saw in the in the flesh true definition of what that means we saw in the flesh what it means but we also saw in the flesh the impact it has Mm -hmm. when you do that we don't like to hear it, and it doesn't feel good. But the impact that it had would not be the same if she popped off. Wouldn't right. have been the same right. impact if she lost her cool. Mm-hmm. 
right now we I mean this lady is just I mean she's amazing she is she, she is, is just truly amazing and you're talking about a role model and an example um not just I I don't even want to say for young girls or young black girls what an example she is of a human being mm-hmm. of what we should be like as people mm-hmm. I mean that's how great of an example she set by yes, going did. high when they went low. Yes, she did. Because we could talk all day about what we would have said. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, you, you, you can't. But I was so locked in because she'll be the first. The, the she first. She would be the first. In 2022, mm-hmm. she would be the first African-American female on the Supreme Court. It's happening. It's happening. Yeah. And for me, it just really hit home because a lot of people don't know in this race. If I win, I'm going to say when I win. When you win. When I win, I will be the first mm-hmm. in the entire state of Tennessee. Not just Memphis. Not just Shelby County. There are 31 districts in the state of Tennessee. There's never been a person of color as district attorney in the entire now, state of Tennessee. I did not know. You did it. No. Yeah, wow, that's the truth. That's the that's the truth. Tennessee, what's going on with Tennessee? I would tell you. I would tell you why I say it is interesting is because Mississippi has had several up. Very, <laughs> you would think Tennessee was a little further along than Mississippi. Yeah, we, we are behind wow. Mississippi in that regard. Yeah. Well, you know what you said that Katanji is amazing. I think that you are amazing, Janika, and I want you to let the verbally effective audience know. Um, what does, you know, the completion of this race looks like? Um, when is voting? How can people help your journey? What does that look like? So my race, and this is, I'm glad you asked that question because a lot of people don't understand this. We have a primary election and then we have a general election. Right now we're in the primary. And in the primary, you pick a party. So right now we're going to come up with a Democratic candidate. We're going to come up nominee and we're going to have a Republican nominee. We already know that Amy Wyrick is going to be the Republican nominee. Okay. Right now we're deciding on the Democratic nominee. And so I have two opponents. Election day is May 3rd. Early voting starts April 13th, and it uh, ends on April 28th. Okay. We've got to get out in numbers. Because I just told you this is an eight-year term. Yeah. That is a long time. We have an opportunity to make drastic transformational change in Shelby County. And if we don't seize this moment, we will not have this moment for another eight years. Mm-hmm. And look, when I make it out of when? the primary in May, the general election will be August 4th, and that's when it'll be against um, the current, the incumbent um, right now. That's coming up, Janika. Oh, it's, it's approaching quickly. <laughs> yes, It is yes. quickly approaching, yes. So we got boots on the ground. How can people help? People can, so a couple of things. I really, 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 really need volunteers. Mm-hmm. We need volunteers. We need people. You can phone bank, you can canvas, and we need people at the polls working during those dates of April 13th through April 28th. And I've been telling all of my family and my friends, if you know me, knew me, ever knew me, I'm mm-hmm. calling even the doctors I went to when I was a kid. <laughs> you if you've ever known me, I need you off work May 3rd mm-hmm. and working a poll and uh, and, and getting helping at the polls mm-hmm. on election day and during early voting. Uh, they can follow me on social media, Janika White now. And you can sign up to volunteer at JanikaWhite.com, J-A-N-I-K-A, White, W-H-I-T-E.com. And on there, it says volunteer. You click on it, you can volunteer. And then, of course, money is always important in order to be able to get the word out. Um, Just historically, a lot of people just don't think it's important to donate to campaigns, but it is. Because the best person for the job doesn't always win. You know, sometimes it is who has the, the most money. And, and and a lot of times who has the most name recognition, really, which comes by way of having the most money. Mm. Because if you have the most money, you can do commercials and you can do mail-outs and you can uh, have more volunteers. We have to get the word out of the importance of this race. And the reason, the other reason it's so important is because this is a part that I never talk about, but I feel comfortable saying it here. I'm putting myself out there. You really are. <laughs> I'm putting myself out there. This is not uh, this is not comfortable. Mm-hmm. This is not comfortable, but it's necessary. And we have to start putting our weight and our support behind people who are genuinely about what we're about, who genuinely share our values, who genuinely share our experiences, and will take those experiences to seats uh, as an elected official. 
You know, we have this idea that because someone decides to run, you know, that's like, oh, that's that politician, that's that whatever. We have to have discernment as to those people that are for us and those people who are running for the right reasons. And we have to put our weight and our support behind those people. I'm trying to say I'm one of those people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I believe you, too. And I need, I mean, we really, we got Mm -hmm. to get out there and vote. Definitely. We've got to get out there and vote. Historically, uh, the ages of about 18 to about 45, mm-hmm. just don't vote in Shelby County. That's bad. Register, but don't vote. Mm-hmm. We got to get them out there. Yes. Wow. Well, you know, Soror, Janika White, I really appreciate you for coming today. I appreciate you. And sharing your amazing journey on the Verbally Effective Podcast. I really hope, um, you know, People out here, our audience is listening to the importance of this district attorney role and how imperative it is for you all to get out and vote. JaniqaWhite.com, right, to mm-hmm. go and volunteer? Yes. Yes, please, 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 volunteers, we need you to support Janika and White. And tell, tell your friends, your family, mm-hmm. it's an election coming up May 3rd, May 3rd, May 3rd, Janika White. April 13th through April 28th is early voting. Please tell your friends and your family. Talk to your parents, your cousins, your aunties. Talk to your people. We've got to get out and vote. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on the Verbally Effective Podcast. I wish you the best of luck. Stay safe. Stay motivated. I know you in it to win it. And I know you good in any hood (laughs) as well. We all know that. So, you know, support my soror, Janika White, for... uh, district attorney for Shelby County. I want to thank all of you guys for tuning in to yet another Verbally Effective Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on all streaming platforms to the podcast and also hit up that YouTube as well, Ina Esco. I will get back with you all next week for another episode of the Verbally Effective Podcast.